I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. It's October 11th, 2023. As always, we're on Rumble, Locals, Spotify, all the usual spots. Uh, more than ever now, I would say please do uh, join us on Rumble or Locals so that you can get me directly because, as you know, we live in a time of censorship, and I suppose telling the truth these days is not... Uh, that comfortable for a certain set of people that run big tech and Lord only knows how long we will remain on YouTube. So if you could jump over to rumble.com slash rubenreport or rubenreport.com slash locals, that would uh, be great. As always, we've got a post-game show after the show today. Uh, today, obviously, there's just like a ton of news to catch up on and what's going on, obviously, in Israel and how that relates to American foreign policy and some of the domestic things going on here. Uh, so I'm gonna recap that for just a bit at the top of the show today. And uh, in about 15 minutes or so, we have uh, former US ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. He was the ambassador under Donald Trump. I'm sure many of you remember, I interviewed him uh, at the Western Wall in Jerusalem just about six months ago in May when we, when we took that trip to Israel. Uh, he's a great American, he's a great supporter of Israel, and I think, he, and, and he was really the architect, or at least the, the force, the real driving force on the ground behind the Abraham Accord. So this is a guy who knows a little something uh, about history and a little something about peace. Uh, so he's gonna check in with us. He is in Jerusalem right now at his home. Uh, before we get to the show, you know, a lot, of, I, just two quick things. Um, I, I've gotten more comments and emails and texts from friends and from people that I haven't heard from in 20 years and a whole bunch more uh, for the sh about the shows that we've done for the last couple of days than in my entire career. Uh, and I'm just trying to do what I think is right and I appreciate it and we appreciate you guys so I just wanted to make note of that and I think people sort of can see that there's a little bit of a different tone in the show the last couple of days than there, than there usually is. Um, and hopefully we will get back to, to the other tone because I, I do dig that one too but this is important, uh, that's number one. And number two, uh, a lot of you are asking me where to donate, I've made a couple different donations, uh, but a, a group that is in Miami that uh, helps out a lot of Israelis and they are, uh, they are raising money for the frontline IDF officers that are fighting right now, they are raising money directly for the families that have been affected and we don't have to get into the litany of horrific things that they're going, to, going through. Uh, it's called HEART, H-E-A-R-T, HEART, Hands in Effort for Action and Relief Today. Uh, I just donated $10,000, it's just the beginning of, I've donated a couple other things, it's not important, but like, it's, it's important and if you have the means, uh, it's appreciated. And uh, we are fighting for Western civilization here, truly. So uh, the link is in the description, um, so please, uh, if you've got the means, as I said, uh, do let us know. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's get to the top here, Phoenix. Um, Give me just a sec, guys, we're rolling through, th through some things here. All right, so look, uh, you guys know that I've had some uh, issues uh, with former President Donald Trump lately, right? Like, I haven't liked some of the behavior and all that, but I was a huge supporter of him. I, I took the, the, <laughs> the arrows for that, uh, and I've always said, if this thing all ends with DeSantis as my governor here in Florida and, president, and Trump as my president, like, things will be just fine, because things were a lot better under Donald Trump, period. Domestically, we know it, whether we're talking about our border or whether we're talking about uh, financially, the economy and all of those things, and certainly foreign policy, it, it's, it's night and day. It, there isn't even a chasm that I could show you that would be wide enough uh, to see how different these things are. And we are now seeing the difference between a strong president uh, on the foreign policy stage, on the world stage, and, and a weak president who nobody believes is really um, in charge of his administration. So I'm gonna compare and contrast that, add in a couple other uh, little details over the last day or so, and then we will get to Ambassador Friedman. Uh, before all that, real quick, I wanna talk to you guys about Bambi. Uh, you guys know that when running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. Well, you better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly, team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. 
And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. HR managers can easily cost 80 grand a year, but Bambi starts at 99 bucks per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go right now to Bambi.com and type in Ruben under podcast, and you'll when you sign up, it'll help the show. B-A-M-B-E-E.com, Bambi.com. Type in Ruben under podcast, and now back to me. Okay, so I want to start quickly because, you know, this thing is not just about politics, and I always tell you that great Andrew Breitbart line that politics is downstream from culture. So I want to start with a very quick clip from Joe Rogan's show yesterday because Joe is not known for his geopolitical analysis and he's kind of what put him on the map really is that he's just a decent guy trying to have conversations with people. Uh, he made an interesting uh, comment yesterday on his show about anti-war liberals and how they actually might become MAGA people in this next election. It seems to me like the more time goes on, Trump, Trump is a shoe in Mm-hmm. It seems like if this shit gets getting crazier and crazier, there's going to be a lot of liberals that will vote for him. He was the one in the beginning. We got to stop people from dying. Like, when they, do you want Ukraine to win this war? Remember that conversation? He's like, I want people to stop dying. Like, which is the best answer any politician has ever given. Mm-hmm. And the way he said it. And isn't that the simplicity of Donald Trump, right? Again, for all the criticisms and all the stuff and the name calling, it's like that's the simplicity of Donald Trump. That's the reason people hear him talk and like him. Uh, it's as simple as that. And, and what's interesting about that clip is you guys know, for the last year, what have I been saying ad nauseum? The, the slim group of people who maybe can move one way or the other, from Democrat to Republican or Republican to Democrat, the slim group is the disaffected liberal, and I'm seeing an awful lot of them, an awful lot of them who over the last couple of years have said some pretty horrible things about a guy like me, uh, they're now waking up, they're going, boy, you know, when you see a whole bunch of people with Nazi signs at Palestinian rallies in New York City, you suddenly go, oh, maybe, maybe the people who were criticizing the left were kind of right, and oh, maybe there is an answer, and my God, that man's orange, but I might have to vote for him. Uh, here's a quick clip from Trump, uh, this is a day or two ago, uh, talking about what the world was like when he was president. When I was your president, we had peace through strength, and now we have weakness, conflict, and chaos. The atrocities we're witnessing in Israel would never have happened if I was president, would never have ever happened. When I was commander in chief, we reduced the Iranian economy, and I withdrew from the disastrous Iran nuclear deal, imposed the toughest ever sanctions on the regime, and imposed a strict travel ban to keep radical Islamic terrorists the hell out of our country. Now they're pouring into our country. They're pouring into our country. Yeah, I mean, he's just right, and there's no doubt about it. He would not have released the $6 billion to Iran, which they said was going to be for humanitarian purposes, and then we played you the clip two weeks ago. The Iranian president said, well, we're going to just do whatever we want with it. And then here we are two weeks later, right? Beheading of children, right? You see the connection? Uh, so he makes a good point on that. He makes another good point. We would have never withdrawn from Afghanistan the way we did, and now it does sound like some of those weapons that we left over are somehow making their way over to the Middle East. I mean, all of these things. And then, of course, the next step of this, which may be, uh, for those of you that might look at the Middle East and go, okay, I don't care about that far off place, uh, what happens there actually affects us because if we don't have a border, we have no idea who has walked into this country. So when you, pe when you see these people at these rallies, uh, you have to wonder where their allegiances lie and what they would do if they had the power to go after anyone here who believes in freedom and individual rights and our constitution and all of those things. So let's contrast that a little bit with our current president. Uh, first, I want to throw back to something that Joe Biden said uh, not too long ago. This is at a college graduation. And then we'll contrast it with what he said yesterday, which actually uh, was pretty decent, I suppose. But here he is uh, not too long ago on the biggest threat to the United States. A single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. One of the things I think is important, I wish, I wish we taught more in our schools about the Islamic faith. That's interesting, right? So, okay, white supremacy is the biggest threat. We all know that that's just abject nonsense. When they say white supremacy, they basically mean MAGA. They mean Trump supporters. That is not to say that there are not some white supremacists and they should be called out and marginalized. Uh, but we know it is simply not. And then, of course, the secondary video that we should be teaching more about the Islamic faith is just sort of 
bizarre because I'm fairly certain in all of the Islamic countries, they're not running around going, hey, can we teach more about Judaism? How about Christianity? Can we get in on that? Uh, anyway, Biden did finally speak yesterday. Now keep in mind, there are, I think 11, we know of 11, and, and the numbers obviously are changing and it's a little unclear, 11, at least 11 American hostages right now somewhere in Gaza. Uh, there's been basically no call to free these people, uh, but Biden did give a speech yesterday, and for, for Joe Biden, who I'm very critical of, it was fairly clear. Hamas does not stand for the Palestinian people's right to dignity and self-determination. Its stated purpose is the annihilation of the state of Israel and the murder of Jewish people. And let there be no doubt, the United States has Israel's back. We will make sure the Jewish and democratic state of Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, as we always have. It's as simple as that. All right, look, the message was basically right. You know, the, the hard part about Biden right now is because we all know he's not running the show, right? He's not the captain of the ship, that it's like, where is this coming from? And are you guys gonna take any of the blame for what got us here? Because it's his policies. I mean, this is just true. This is not partisan. It is his policies that got us here. Uh, we've got a compilation right now of Biden administration officials uh, explaining some of their poor policies regarding Iran. Aren't going to be released for nothing in exchange. Didn't they also get five Iranians? They will get five uh, Iranians uh, as well. Yeah, Jackie. We need to add $6 billion on top of that. This is the deal that uh, we were able to strike. Biden's ransom payment will be immediately used to stoke violence, bloodshed, and mayhem throughout the Middle East putting Israel, the United States, and the entire world in very grave peril. Six billion dollars they want released, and they're going to have shorts, they're going to use it for humanitarian aid. There's no guarantees of that. So I'm very much concerned about this. So we're looking into it much deeper, but I'm very concerned. Do you have concern that money is fungible? I am. It could there be is, obviously. Money is fungible. The administration says this is limited to humanitarian aid, but they also acknowledge that funds are fungible, which means they can use, move them around and will aid them in being able to do other things. So people are, are very concerned. It seems, you know, very clear to the critics in both sides on the Hill that money is fungible. That's the criticism. Right. And now President Rahisi has added fuel to the fire that already existed of criticism by saying we're going to do anything we want with it. But isn't it true that this frees Tehran up to spend more on other nefarious goals like supporting terrorism and boosting its nuclear program? And it's, you know, I can't predict what they'll do going forward here. Iran may have known this money is coming and used other funds to help fund this attack that happened. Iran has, ha, Iran has unfortunately always used and focused its funds on supporting terrorism, on supporting groups like, uh, like Hamas. I assure you guys we could have shown you a way longer compilation of the confusions and outright lies and obfuscations from this administration related to that. You can thank me for not showing you anything from Corinne Jean-Pierre. I love this phrase, money is fungible, and that they all start repeating it. Of course it is, you're not gonna believe this. I pay all the guys in this room. Uh, guys, you do whatever you want with the money, right? You don't ask me when you're having lunch or you're buying your chick something or, yeah, everybody, money's fungible. You give it to somebody, they can do what they want with it. Uh, anyway, just, just a little bit more and then I wanna get to the ambassador. Uh, here is a tweet and it's interesting. There's something so fascinating happening right now. Elon Musk, this cannot be overstated. He, in some respects, is saving Western society right now. I don't think this was his intention when he bought Twitter. I think it might've been sort of in a, in a kind of blue sky way. Uh, but by allowing people to get information directly and allowing people to see the horrors and then also expose the bad guys who are all too willing to expose themselves, uh, we would not have that if Elon Musk did not have Twitter, right? We know that the censorship and the banning and all of those things, you would they would be banning and suspending the good guys and promoting the bad guys, but some of the bad guys are still on there and it's an interesting philosophic debate on as to what Elon should do about these things, but I think it is good to know uh, what some of the genuinely bad guys are saying. Here is Iranian Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei. Uh, that video that he linked to before I read the tweet is from the uh, the desert, the party where 250 Israeli kids, I mean, you know, teenagers and, and 20 something year olds were killed who were just uh, going to a, a concert. He wrote, God willing, the cancer of the usurper Zionist regime will be eradicated at the hands of the Palestinian people and the resistance forces through the region 
Now look, there's a, you can have a debate, like is that a direct threat to Israel? Should he be allowed to be on these platforms? Again, I sort of think exposing these things is the best. I want to throw to you to a map, you know, we've shown you a map, a couple different maps of the Middle East. I saw this one this morning, Ben Shapiro tweeted this one out. Just again, showing you the scale of what we are talking about. We are talking about a tiny country, that red box you're looking at there, the box is probably four times the size of what Israel actually is. It's the little speck in the box, but you can't even make a box small enough. Uh, but only if that country was a little bit smaller, we would had, have peace. That, that seems to be the argument, and I think most people realize it isn't. But Khomeini's not the only one uh, internationally saying crazy things. Uh, this is a, a tweet from Turkey's deputy minister of national education. Uh, he said, one day they will shoot you too, you will die. Uh, that seems like a direct threat to Bibi Netanyahu. And then now just a little bit more catching up and then we'll bring on the ambassador. Uh, this is from the AP. Uh, now the outbreak of the war between Israel and the Palestinians effort after a devastating Hamas attack on Israeli soil is threatening to delay or derail the years long country by country diplomatic push by the United States to improve relations between Israel and its Arab neighbors. The so-called normalization push, which began under former President Donald Trump's administration and was branded as the Abraham Accords, is an ambitious effort to reshape the region and boost Israel's standing in historic ways. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the Hamas attacks may have been driven in part by a desire to scuttle the United States' most ambitious part of the initiative, the sealing of diplomatic relations between rivals Israel and Saudi Arabia. The Middle East's two great powers share a common enemy in Iran, a generous military and financial sponsor of Hamas. However, social media showed crowds take to the streets with Palestinian flags in Lebanon, Bahrain, Kuwait, and elsewhere in the hours after the Hamas attack. A policeman in Egypt's coastal city, coastal city of Alexandria opened fire on Israeli tourists, killing two Israelis and one Egyptian. Saudi Arabia's foreign minister, ministry in a statement soon after the attacks did not condemn Hamas. Instead, the ministry noted that it had repeatedly warned that Israel's occupation, the deprivation of the Palestinian people of their legitimate rights, and the repetition of systemic provoca provocations, provocations sorry, uh, led to this moment. White House National Security spokesman John Kirby declined to comment on the Saudi response. And with no further ado, having caught you up on some of that, and Ambassador, I, ser I seriously hope that I'm doing justice uh, to all of the, the things that you have been fighting for. I welcome uh, my friend, uh, former U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, to the show. Uh, Ambassador, how are you? Dave, I'm fine. I I've been better, but I'm fine. And. Uh, I wish I could say the same thing for so many people in Israel who are not fine. I mean, a lot of a lot of them are not fine, and uh, and you know why? We don't need to go through all the parade of horrors that we've seen over the last few days, but uh, we're really not fine. It's 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 it is a it's a day of Holocaust. It's not the Holocaust in its scope, but the day that day of October seventh was a day uh, that the Jewish people experienced during the Holocaust. And it's a day that we never thought we'd see again. And so um, uh, the, the people of Israel are in pain, but they're also incredibly united, incredibly determined, incredibly angry. And, and they are going to respond, I think, like never before. Well, actually, on that note, if you don't mind, Ambassador, you posted a video of young Israelis who are returning to Israel at this very moment to defend their country and their people and their families. Uh, I'd like to throw to that real quick because maybe that'll give us a little more of a positive note to to start on. Ambassador, that spirit, young people returning home to defend their families, maybe uh, Hamas has w awoken something that needed to be awoken in, in some bizarre yeah. spiritual sense? They have. I mean, these are, uh, these are young Israelis on vacation in various parts in the world. Uh, they were collected, you know, from uh, whatever their meeting point was. And uh, they're, they're not complaining about having their vacations cut short. They're coming. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're joining their brothers in Israel and brothers and sisters in Israel. They're on this plane. They're singing Am Yisrael Chai, which means 
the nation of Israel lives. And, uh, and, and by the way, that's, uh, that's emblematic of the entire country. I mean, what I'm seeing in Israel, um, uh, apart from the pain, and the pain is real, but, um, but those who are not mourning today, or at least not mourning directly for an immediate member of their family, those who don't have someone who's being held hostage, and unfortunately that's those are hundreds of people, but the people, the rest of the country, they are determined, uh, they are rushing, they are, they're, they're, they're tripping over each other uh, to get into battle, to get, into the, to get to the front lines. Uh, the people who are not in the army anymore, people like me who are too old to serve in the army, uh, doing acts of kindness, uh, raising money, philanthropy, uh, you know, putting up people who are displaced from the north or the south because they're, they had to move out of their homes or their homes were destroyed. People are, you know, they're just, they're just welcoming everybody into their homes. I mean, this country uh, uh, knows how to deal, unfortunately, knows how to deal with the tragedy, and they're up to the task. You know, you know, I have to say, Ambassador, when I saw you six months ago, it was the first time we ever met, and I interviewed you, and you said, hey, you want to take a walk around Jerusalem? And we had lunch, and we walked around, and I said to you many times, the thing that I could not believe, and having been to Israel several times before, I could not believe how peaceful it was and how safe it was. And it, it's so personally, I mean, the, the tragedy is just beyond imagination, but I really thought that the next time I was going to have you on, if you would have asked me last week, was going to be in a few weeks from now to explain that this deal with Saudi Arabia and Israel had been signed. And here we are. But can you just talk a little bit about the peaceful nature that actually is in Israel for just a moment? I mean, again, we can talk about the horrors all the time, but something incredible has been brewing there, and that's what's being frayed right now. Look, the, the, you know, the, the one thing about the people of Israel, and, and I wish we had this now in America, but there, there are foundational principles and you know, foundational experiences and commonality that notwithstanding the, the, the politics here, which as you know, is all over the place and, and, yep. and very robust, people get very upset and angry and, and, you know, about that. But when it comes down to it, it's a family. The people here are a family. Many of them are children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors who came here as their only place of refuge. And they understand, I mean, there's, a, there's an expression in Hebrew, we have no other land. And, and that's their view. That's, that's really the motivating principle here. There's no place to go. This is, this is the last stop. This is where the Jewish people take their stand and they stand for their home, they stand for their family, they stand for their, their neighbors. And, and, and that's, that's something that I don't know that any other country has. Um, it's a sense of, of, of unity and, and, and camaraderie and brotherhood and sisterhood that I don't think we have anymore in America, regrettably, but, but it's still here. And, and that's what contributes to the stability uh, almost all the time until, until something like this happens. And then we realize, we realize something very painful, which is that, um, you know, we, we had thought that, um, that the Holocaust was, you know, as it relates to the Jew, the war against the Jews was the war to end all wars. And, and I think we, you know, we didn't really believe it, but we kind of felt that way and optimistically felt that maybe the Jewish people after 2000 years are, are going to finally uh, be allowed to live uh, in, in this land, this God-given land, this only Jewish state in the whole world, this little, as you point out on the map, little tiny speck of dust on the globe. Um, we thought we could we could live here in peace, but we still can't. We still can't. can't. And what I what I say, Dave, to people when they ask me, you know, to, to describe this moment, um, I call it a never again moment. You know, the, the phrase never again is used by everybody uh, of all stripes, you know, when it comes to the Holocaust, never again. You know, we, we use that word, those those, those words, they're, they're, they're wonderful words. They convey a real meaning. But now we're going to find out, you know, are these just words? Yeah. Or is there really something to it? Because now is really where the rubber hits the road on this issue. This wasn't this wasn't a terrorist attack. This wasn't a battle. You know, this was a this was a this was a day of Holocaust. This was a, it, you know, the, the soldiers who came here, the, these hard, hardened, battle-tested soldiers. You know, uh, when they finally exposed these places, it was almost like you remember Eisenhower when he was when he and his troops came into the concentration camps after the end of World War II. You know, they, 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 they couldn't, these are, these are tough people. You know, these are, these are really tough people. They, they couldn't contain, you know, they were, they were, they were throwing up. They, were, they, they couldn't contain their, they, they were crying. They couldn't believe that human beings could be so cruel and barbaric to each other. And, and that's the kind of, that's what the reaction that, that the Israeli soldiers, um, you know, uh, uh, diplomats, uh, even the press. I mean, everybody that went and visited yesterday, there was an open day of press to come and look. Nobody, nobody left there uh, unchanged. I mean, nobody. And so, um, 
this is the time to find out who we are, who we really are. You know, are we going to stand with Israel so that they can defeat and eradicate this evil? Or are we going to start kind of micromanaging and, and getting politically correct and thinking about, well, you know, uh, you know, 1,200 people were murdered, you know, should should Israel be able to kill twice that many? I mean, that that's the way the world has traditionally thought. Mm -hmm. We got to get we got to get completely out of that paradigm and say this is a war for the existence of the Jewish state. It's probably a war for the existence of the Jewish people, because if we lose this, who knows where this where this leads, and and we have to win this fight. How much of this do you think is because the West does not ha know how to stand up for itself? It doesn't know its own history. I mean, when I some of the things that I see on Twitter and and even I mean MSNBC, which is almost a Hamas network at this point. The absolute yep. lies of the history, you know, all these people saying the, an occupation began 75 years ago. It's really bizarre to have a bunch of Palestinian people on MSNBC apparently calling for the British Empire to come back or bring back the Ottomans before that, or the idea that the Jews, everyone knows that Jews celebrate Hanukkah in Judea and Samaria, like all of the things that I keep repeating ad nauseum that, that you know, of course, that the West didn't know how to explain its history. And I would directly link that to a problem we have in the United States, where we have half the people thinking that our foundation was fundamentally based in racism and not in the individual rights and freedom and a nation for all people and all that, that we've just lost it maybe out of, out of it's a function of our success, I suppose. And that might stand, you might be able to say that for Israel and you might be able to say that for the United States. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, I think we have lost our way. And, um, and I think we've also lost We've lost our way. We've also lost some basic facts, which, you know, um, for the benefit of your audience, uh, if I could just please, point out the please. fact, you know, people, people refer to Gaza as the most densely populated place in the world. You know, it's an open air prison. Gaza is 142 square miles, right? Manhattan Island is one seventh of that. It's about 24 square miles, right? So Manhattan Island, where, where um, 8 million people either live there or come to work there every day, is one seventh the size of mm -hmm. Gaza, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, just in terms of understanding the density. Now, where is Gaza, right? It's not landlocked. Gaza has uh, along its border uh, a strip of the Mediterranean that is the most beautiful beach in the world. It's the same beach as, as you would have in Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. We all know how beautiful the beaches are in Tel Aviv. So the, the, the Gaza has the potential to be a place of tourism, to be a place of, of commerce. It's got... Um, uh, I can tell you, I used to go there when I was a kid in the, in the you know, in the 80s and the 70s. It's a beautiful place. It was beautiful, beautiful beachfront. People used to come there all the time. And, you know, why is it a place today where you wouldn't want to live or I wouldn't want to live? By the way, it's a place where corrupt Palestinians want to live because there's some mansions there on the water that are spectacular. Mm -hmm. But why would I want to live there? Well, if there's someone to blame, okay, it's not Israel. It's Hamas. You know, Hamas has destroyed commerce. Hamas has destroyed, you know, freedom of speech. Hamas has destroyed freedom of religion. Hamas takes people who were accused of being gay, brings them up to the top of a building and throws them off. Hamas is subjugating women. Hamas is destroying any opportunity for engagement with the rest of the world. And primarily, Hamas refuses to accept the state of Israel and has as part of its charter a mandate to kill the Jewish people. So you ask yourself, well, why aren't the people there you know, why aren't they enjoying some of the economy that the Israelis enjoy? Why aren't they participating, you know, in, in, in tourism that Israel, because of Hamas, because Hamas doesn't permit it. And so, you know, um, you know, all these people that are that are bemoaning the fate of the Gazans in, in uh, the Gazan Palestinians, let me tell you, when Hamas is defeated, they're going to be liberated. Mm -hmm. Okay, so all, all the people that want to help them, if they want to help them at all, they should help Israel in this war to defeat the single source that's keeping the Gazans down, keeping them from achieving their aspirations. So, you know, the, the, the facts are just completely upside down in terms of, you, you'd think in a, in a university and, you know, you know we're watching, um, you know, places like Harvard and, and, you know, Columbia, where I went to school, and NYU Law School, where I got my law degree, you know, the, the student organizations are coming out and, and think of what they're saying. They're saying that a woman who was raped, a, a woman who was murdered while she was pregnant and had her stomach sliced open so that the fetus could be pulled out and decapitated. That these people had it coming. They had it coming because they live in Israel, which is an apartheid state. That's what these people are saying at Harvard, at Columbia, at the best schools. You know, it's it's an indication that somehow SAT scores are inversely proportional to intelligence.
right? I mean, it's it's unbelievable that people that presumably, you know, have have some cerebral matter can't get this, can't even open up a book and get the facts right so they can make the right decisions. And it's it's massively frustrating. But you know what? I don't care because we're going to win this war, whether people like it, whether they don't, whether Harvard thinks it's a good idea or a bad idea. We're going to win this war. The Jewish people, okay, I don't care whether you're left wing, right wing, center. If you care about Jewish survival, you have to support Israel in winning this war. Yeah, and if I could just add one thing to that, I can't say anything better than you just said, but it's not just, you don't even have to care about the Jews specifically. If you care about Western civilization, this is it. We're seeing it. it. It's not that surprising that a bunch of people that don't know if boys or girls also don't know if the people beheading babies are the bad guys. Uh, you know, I want to throw the map up for just another second, because could you, uh, from, a, from a geopolitical and from a geographic uh, uh, perspective, Explain this situation with Egypt and Sinai. Uh, now, most people, I mean, you don't hear this on MSNBC, but Gaza was in control uh, by Egypt before 1967, and then they lost it after attacking Israel. Uh, but that the, everyone can see that map right there, and there is a border with Egypt, that's Sinai specifically that they're bordering with. Basically, nobody lives in Sinai, and if the, if the Egyptians or the Jordanians or the Syrians, et cetera, if any of these people actually cared about the Palestinians, wouldn't everybody be saying, boy, you gotta get away from those crazy Jews. How about you just walk over the border there? But Egypt has completely bombarded the border. Yeah, I mean, look, um, nobody wants them. Uh, and not only does nobody want them, but they are um, they are intentionally, I believe, by certainly by Hamas, certainly by the, the radical Islamists, they are intentionally kept suppressed so that they remain angry and remain angry at Israel. I mean, this is... This is, a, this is a terrorist farm, right? This is where terrorists are, are taught to be angry and to hate Israel. I'll give you an example. You know, we cut off funding to an organization called UNRWA, the United Nations mm -hmm. uh, Relief Works Agency. It's a, it's a refugee agency. It's the only refugee agency in the world that's earmarked specifically to Palestinians, right? Every other refugee agency just deals with refugees. This particular agency, for no particular reason, is focused only on Palestinians, and and, and we. And if I may, don't they don't they oh, don't they also do it for for it's not just people that were displaced, let's say, in the war in 1948. It's for all of their children and grandchildren and everything else, which doesn't apply to any other people on the face of the planet. Correct? Their definition of refugees would would extend to a plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills, <laughs> you know, who happens to be of Palestinian origin. So yeah, it's 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 absurd, but but. Understand what they do. I mean, in these schools in Gaza, and and I, you know, you can find these on the internet. They they, they these schools put on plays, right? And they dress up. Let's say in a fourth grade play, they'll dress up half the kids as terrorists, you know, with fake machine guns. I assume fake, maybe just you know, maybe just unloaded. And then they'll dress up the other half the kids as Jews. You know, Jews. They'll they'll put them on big noses. They'll put them on yellow stars. Whatever. They'll they'll make clear that these are Jews. And then the terrorists, you know, in the play, they kill all the Jews, the Jews all fall down, they act like they're dead, and the parents get up and applaud, right? That's that's what UNRWA does. I mean, this is, they've made no effort whatsoever to, to, to in any way teach, you know, coexistence with the Israelis who are, you know, on their, along their border. So, you know, one of the problems is, you know, is, is as in almost every situation, is, you know, Who's funding all this, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and we didn't fund it. Like we didn't, we we cut off UNRWA completely. Um, we cut off almost the entire aid to the Palestinian Authority. Why? Because they they have a system where they pay uh, terrorists to kill Jews. The more Jews you kill, the more money you get. So he said, well, if that's what you're using your money for, God forbid the American people, the American taxpayers, should be funding this. So we cut that off, and of course we cut off funding to Iran, which really is really is the the head of the snake is really coordinating all of this. I mean, there's no way this um, this attack could have been possibly achieved without the financing and the training, the the, the I, I believe the the cyber attack capabilities, the um, uh, the organization and the approval of the Islamic Republic of Iran. And so, you know, what are we doing with Iran? You know, it's people are debating. It's I'm, I'm watching this debate. I, I find it so amusing whether or not. The, the $6 billion that America gave to Iran as part of the prisoner swap, you know, they're debating whether or not that money was actually used or spent on this attack, mm -hmm. as if it matters, you know, as if it matters. And of course, and it's not just, I mean, of course, money is fungible, you pointed that out as well, but it's even worse than that because this problem existed long before 
the, um, the this particular prisoner swap. I'll, I'll, I'll just, you know, I, I, I just want to make sure, here are some numbers that you Please. should understand. In um, uh, the uh, Iran's, Iran's revenues from the export of crude oil and, uh, and condensate reached $42.6 billion right in 2022. In 2021, the number was $25.5 billion. Hmm. And in 2020, right, our last year, it was $7.9 billion. So that's a almost a six times, six-fold increase in Iran's oil revenues over, you know, since the end of the Trump administration. Now, who cares about the six billion, you know, that's an escrow in Qatar. They have become incredibly rich. We have taken, you know, the pressure off. We have lifted sanctions. And it's and, and this is what you, this is what you get. I mean, this is what you get. You, we've created a, a financial pathway, a, a lubricant, if you will, to all the malign activity in the Middle East and elsewhere. And it's not just the Middle East. I mean, you know, uh, we have an open border, right? We, we have no idea who's in our country right now. No idea. And um, I, I sure hope it's not any of these people. But that would just be an optimistic speculation. I mean, there's no reason to think that there aren't, you know, lots of people in America right now who are, are being funded by Iran. So it's a problem for America. It's a problem for Israel. It's a problem, as you point out, it's a problem for the free world. It's a problem for the West. It's for a problem for any liberal democracy, anyone who values freedom and, uh, and opportunity. And this is the tip of the spear. And, and this is where we find out, you know, whether or not, um, you know, Western values are going to prevail, whether we're going to be in a quagmire with, uh, with, with the worst of the worst. What do you think America should be doing right now? So I think, look, I'll, I think that um, what, what I'd like them to do, which they won't do, I don't believe, is to uh, do an about face on Iran. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to admit mistakes and politicians almost never do that. Uh, the guy I used to work for didn't like to do it either. So I'm not going to pick on uh, pick on Biden. But but it's a huge mistake. And it's being proven to be a huge mistake, just like the border has been proven. The open border has been proven to be a huge mistake. Um, they got to get tougher on Iran. Um, I, I think they ought to go to the Qataris. Just it, it may only be a symbolic gesture. But what I would say to the Qataris is um, freeze that money or give it back to us. Um, you got to understand something. At the same time, the very same time that the United States and Iran are negotiating this five for five prisoner swap with a six billion dollar sweetener. At the same time, um, uh, Hamas and Iran are negotiating are, are, are planning this attack. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And six billion dollars, according to the Americans, was a, was a token of good faith. I mean, which 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 boggles my mind as if as between America and Iran, it's America that has to show us good faith. <laughs> but in any event, we got duped. I mean, I assume I sure hope I'm right about this. I assume that if America knew at the time it was negotiating this prisoner swap, that Hamas and Iran were negotiating this 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 uh, assault against the Jewish people, this barbaric attack reminiscent of the Holocaust, I would hope that America would not have gone through with this deal. And assuming that's the case, and I sure hope it's true, um, they, ought to, they ought to look the Iranians in the eye and say, you cheated us, you duped us, give us back the money. We're not going to honor this deal. You know, we're not going to take back, we're not, you know, we, we can't take back the prisoners because you have them ready, but we're not sure as so I'm not giving you the money. And uh, I hope they do that. Now, on another front, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I think that moving the Gerald Ford, which is the largest aircraft carrier in the world, moving that into the East Mediterranean. And I think Biden's speech last night was helpful. I mean, if it keeps Lebanon out of the war, and I'm, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but if it does keep Lebanon out of the war because, because of the threats made by America, you know, I, I'm going to give credit to, to mm -hmm. Biden for doing that. So it could save lives. But, um, but we got here. The reason we got here is because of the American weakness over the last three years, I have no doubt. I know we could do this all day, but uh, you you have, I am sure, plenty of things to do. I, just just two more questions for you. Can you just describe, because sure. I think most people watching this accept, and I think most Americans, except for a small, crazy minority, accept that if Donald Trump was still president, uh, that this would not have happened. But can you describe what it was like when you were doing the Abraham Accords, talking to the Arab counterparts and doing these deals that no one said could ever be done. Could you talk about what it was like to have strong American leadership and why they did it? And sort of why, when you have weak American leadership, they, they won't do this. And it seems like the Saudi Arabia thing is now, it's probably kicked down the can ten, you know, 10 years or something. 
Well, if these countries, whether it was UAE or Bahrain or uh, or Morocco and, and Saudi as well, uh, had enormous respect for President Trump because uh, number one, he kept his word when he said he was going to do things. Number two, all these countries, Israel included, uh, have roughly the same enemies, which are you know radical radical Islamic terrorists. Every one of these countries faces radical Islamic terrorists, and Donald Trump. You know, in 2017, he goes to Saudi Arabia and he speaks to 50 Arab countries and says, look, you know what? We're all facing the same enemy, but I don't want to start dealing with them when they cross the Atlantic. It's your job, your job to, to, to stop these animals before before they, they, they come my way. And if you do, you'll find the United States to be one of your best friends. And I think that changed the entire paradigm. Um, when Trump uh, uh, took out Qasem Soleimani, who is the, mm -hmm. you know, the head terrorist among the country that is the biggest state sponsor of terrorists, changed the dynamic. People looked and said, wow, you know, wow, look what this guy did. This guy was willing to uh, to directly, to directly, you know, to take out the, 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 the most popular leader in Iran to send the to send the message that we will not allow him to, to proceed with plans that he had underfoot to kill Americans. So, you know, that strength is what um, is what people are looking for. It's not what you say, it's what you do. And I think in Trump, um, all these countries, uh, uh, Israel as well, saw a reliable partner that that was, you know, it's it's easy to have a partner when you're when everything's great, you know, mm -hmm. like you got a business partner, you're making tons of money, everybody's friendly. The question is, you know, what kind of a partner do you want when you're in the trenches? You know, when things are tough, when you, when you have to fight and you have to survive and you have to prevail, Who's the partner you want? And all these people would much rather have Trump than Biden because Trump Trump is a guy that can that, that will fight and he's not afraid. I, I have one more question for you because I'm seeing a lot of people that seemingly want to fall on the sword. There's no win for Israel here, no matter what they do, and you can't win this war and all these things. What does a win for Israel now look like to you? Look, I think, um, you know, in, in my mind, uh, and I'm not a military strategist or an expert, but in my mind, I look at this I look at the I look at Hamas as if they are uh, as if they're Nazis or or ISIS or you know in that in that category, and um, look in 1945 you know, America and its allies defeated the Nazis, and we occupied uh, Germany. Uh, none of the countries there wanted to hold Germany, but we occupied it for a while. We cleaned it out, and then we uh, we turned it over to uh, people that we thought we could trust to build a nation. Uh, we helped them. And, and look where we are today. We've got great relations, of course, with Germany and Japan. That to me is sort of my model. I mean, we have to clean it out, okay? And we have to liberate uh, Gaza for, uh, for the benefit of the people that live there. Mm -hmm. When Hamas is dead and gone, I think, you know, uh, I think Israel will reach out to its neighbors, will reach out to America, to the UN, to try to create a caretaker uh, military uh, occupation for as long as is necessary to turn it over to people that, that want to keep the border quiet. All Israel wants is a quiet border. Doesn't have, doesn't want one inch yep. uh, of Gaza. There's not a single Jew living in Gaza. There's not a single military you know, presence in Gaza. All Israel wants is a quiet border. Once they're sure they can get that, they'll leave and, and that will be the victory. Ambassador, I'm honored that you took some time on obviously a very difficult time. You are welcome back anytime. You have our thoughts and prayers and uh, we will do this in the promised land one way or another, either in the promised land where you are or the other promised land of Florida where you part-time live. Uh, I, I will see you soon, I hope. God bless you, Dave. Thank you. All right, guys. So we're, we're going to continue for, for just a little bit. Uh, I hope that gave a little historical, not really just historical perspective, but a little political perspective on kind of where we're at. And again, why what I've been trying to lay out over the couple days is not, last couple days is not just, ah, look at all the horrible things that have happened. And believe me, and you know, they have happened. It's like, there's a reason we got here. There's a reason this fight is on our doorstep. And we have to now unfurl the nonsense that got us here. And one of the reasons that we are here is because over the last, well, many people would say it's the last 40 years, we have lost all of the institutions in the United States. When Ambassador Friedman talks about his alma maters of Columbia and NYU going radically, radically left 
and supporting decolonization and all of these things. And, and now that BLM has come out for terrorism, and it, it basically is a domestic terror organization at this point, and all these things, we shouldn't be surprised at any of this, right? It was, it was, it was there to see if you wanted to see it. And a lot of people, again, would, would rather put their head in the sand and they're just the last ones to get beheaded. But one of the things that we really have to come to grips with is that we have about a half dozen supporters of Hamas in our Congress now. They are the Hamas caucus. They are all Democrats. We're talking about Rashida Tlaib and AOC and Ilhan Omar and Cori Bush and uh, Jamal Bowman and there's and Ayanna Presley. Uh, these are radically anti-American Congress people who believe that America is evil. Obviously, they believe that Israel is evil. They, they churn out these duplicitous statements, you know, condemning attacks when, when fundamentally they believe these attacks are good. And I want to get into that for just a little bit, and, and then we'll finish up with a few other things. But I want to throw back to, because Rashida Tlaib is probably the worst of all, you know, it's hard to say. Actually, it's, it would be, we should probably figure out a way. Maybe AI could figure it out for How would you figure out who's the worst between Rashida Tlaib, AI, uh, <laughs> Rashida Tlaib AOC, and, uh, and Ilhan? Like, I don't know how you would do it. Maybe we can get, I have to get a mathematician. We should have a mathematician, a philosopher, and a, and a scientist come on or something like that. Um, anyway, it might be Ilhan, because I think she married her brother. But all right, anyway. <laughs> Reset. Uh, here's Rashida Tlaib a couple years ago uh, talking about how the Holocaust gives her a calming feeling. Uh, I think two weeks ago or so, we celebrated, um, or just it took a moment, I think, in our country to remember the Holocaust. And there's, you know, there's a kind of a calming feeling I always tell folks. When I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, the human dignity. Um, their existence in many ways have been wiped out and some people's passport. I mean, just all of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews post um, the Holocaust, post the tragedy and horrific um, persecution of Jews ac across the world at that time. And I love the fact that it was my ancestors that provided that, right, in many ways. Um, but they did it in a way that took their human dignity away, right? And it was forced on them. And so when I think about a one state, I think about the fact that why couldn't we do it in a better way? Man, she is a psycho-Islamist. Everything she said right there is a complete lie, except that it gave her a calming feeling. I do absolutely believe that the death of six million Jews was a calming feeling for her. A couple things there. First off, she accidentally said celebrated the Holocaust Memorial. So she said celebrated, then she backtracked on that. The calming feeling, have you ever in your life heard anyone say, the Holocaust gives me a calming feeling? I have a little tea, I have a little tea, I listen to some ambient music and I think about the Holocaust. Um, her ancestors lost their land. Uh, there were people, Jews, Arabs, Christians, Muslims, living in Israel forever. They lived under the British uh, Empire, and again, before that, under the Ottoman Empire. The Western Wall of the ancient Jewish temple is thousands of years old. Why do they find every time they dig a whole bunch of stuff written in Hebrew? Jews have been there forever. But then her implication is, but my ancestors, they, they somehow gave them the land. Uh, these people, these foreigners all showed up and they just gave them the land and I'm so proud of that. Uh, actually, the British said, hey, we're, we're, we're done here. We, we're not gonna stay here anymore post-World War II. The British Empire is collapsing. Uh, Jews, you want some land? Arabs, again, there were no Palestinians at the time. Would you guys want some land? Google it, the 1947 UN partition plan. The Jews said yes, the Arabs said no, and then all of the Arab countries launched a war, including uh, Rashida's family, to kill the Jews. And some of the Arab countries said, hey, you guys, Arabs, but they weren't known as Palestinians then, get out of your houses because we'll kill all the Jews and then you can come back. And those pesky Jews somehow won. And then they ended up with more land. Ah, tough shit. What are you going to do? Um, so everything she says there is like she's comforted that her, her family gave up. They were like, they welcomed them in. Like, it's just abject lie. But here she is yesterday. This is so profoundly vile, except that it's obvious, right? Except that it's obvious. Here she is. This, how long is this video? About 60 seconds? It's about 60 seconds. She cannot say a word about beheaded babies, raped women, burned children, slaughter of innocents. Watch, watch this rat. Watch this rat scurry away. Terrorist has um, set off 
babies' heads and burn children alive? Do you support Israel's rights to defend themselves against this brutality? We're just going to go through here. You can't comment about Hamas terrorists chopping off babies' heads? First off, before I comment on Rashida, and I have no doubt that you guys were going through the words that I might say about her in just a moment, um, that, that girl who I want to give an awful lot of credit to there, that is a journalist, and I can actually call her a journalist, which is so refreshing without using air quotes. Her name is Hillary Vaughn, and she works over at Fox. Um, that was about 60 seconds of a rat scurrying away who simply cannot say, you know, um, baby's heads being chopped off is pretty bad. Like, why couldn't she stop for one second and say, you know, I, I don't see the Israeli-Palestinian conflict the way you see it, but yes, these tactics, murdering pregnant women, like, there's such an easy out here. But she can't do that because she is for it. She is for it. And we don't have to equivocate. We need to stop being nice. You know, there are too many of us. Too many of us have just become sort of amoral, wishy-washy. We will never stand up for ourselves as the people come to get us, as the murderers calling from inside the house, and in this case, inside the House of Representatives, okay? She could not just say, you know, actually, um, obviously, I, I'm more on the Palestinian side of this thing, and okay, generally, that's different than maybe what you guys think at Fox, but yeah, be, you know, the burning of babies, the beheading of babies, we can all get on board that one, and she can't, because she's for it. But it's not just her, the, the dishonest lies that these people have spread, not only our politicians, but our mainstream media regarding this conflict, the dishonest way they cover this conflict, and that they do not tell you that there was never a Palestinian state. It never existed. Who was the prime minister? Who was the president? There was an area, right? It's also Babylon. Like, I mean, it's just so mind-blowingly stupid. And I know, and I saw a lot of comments over the last couple of days. When I say these things, people are like, holy cow, is that true? Is that true? And then they start Googling things, and God only knows how long before Google starts censoring all of what actual history is. But it's not just the, the Hamas caucus that, that are awful, it is also our mainstream corporate media. The New York Times, which has lied about Israel and the founding of America and Western values, and has ushered in so much of this crap. Uh, here they are, this is from another guy that I'm proud to call a journalist by the name of Greg Price. Look at this. Holy shit, you can't make this up. The New York Times published a story referring to Hamas as terrorists and then changed it to gunmen. I don't know how it even made it into the New York Times in the first place, actually calling Hamas terrorists. Let me, let me read the headline for you. Hamas leaves trail of terror in Israel. As Israeli soldiers regain control of areas near Gaza that came under attack, they are finding evidence seen in videos and photos and confirmed by witness accounts of the massacre of civilians by Hamas terrorists. And of course, as you can see there, then they changed it to Hamas gunmen. I want you to think about this for a second. In any other Western nation, in any other Western nation on Earth, and maybe not even any Western nation, in any other nation on Earth, if a bunch of guys with guns and masks broke into a house, murdered babies, all, all of the stuff, if they broke into houses in Greece and they did it, and if they broke into houses in Chile and did it, if they broke into houses in Japan, or South Africa, everyone would be calling them terrorists. It would not be a debate, but for the liberal brainlets over at the New York Times, it's a debate. I am amazed, actually, quite frankly, that the first headline even made it into the New York Times. Somebody's probably getting beheaded over there because of that. But you can see what they do. You can see what they do. Um, okay, we have a breaking headline, so I'm just reading this on the fly. This is from uh, the Wall Street Journal. Well, I guess this is another one of these types of headlines. Israel sought to contain Hamas for years, now faces a potentially costly fight to eliminate it. 
It's so incredible the way they frame everything. As, as Ambassador just laid out, no Jews live in Gaza. 2005, took them all out. There were 8,000. There were 8,000. They took them all out. They said, here are, your, here are our greenhouses, here are our temples. They ransacked all the temples, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. But now it's Israel once again. They want nothing to do with these fucking people. Uh, one of the, I guess, uh, silver linings of all of this is that some people are waking up. I played a clip of him yesterday. I'm gonna play another clip of him today and I hope it is not short-lived. Uh, Jake Tapper over at CNN, who, who I think was the hope of CNN. You know, he was on ABC before that. He was the ABC White House correspondent for many years before he went over to CNN, which was, must be a decade ago or so. Uh, and, he, and he sort of kept going more left on CNN. That's what it breaks people's brains and that's what it does to you. Uh, but he's doing a fine job of reporting right now. And I always think it's important when, when people, even if they've been muddled and confused before, when they start coming around, um, you gotta give him credit. So here is CNN's Jake Tapper uh, starting to push on the idea that boy, the left and the Democrats, they really have gone crazy with some of this shit. This does, these last few days have been a real uh, eye-opening period for a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives in terms of anti-Semitism on the left. A lot of people who seem more shocked at dehumanizing language uh, used by world leaders to describe Hamas than what Hamas actually perpetrated on Saturday. Yeah, well, it's not shocking to some of us. Some of us have been saying for a long time, if you believe in identity politics, if you believe that immutable characteristics are the most important thing, and if you don't have any basis in biological reality or the rest of it, you might start thinking the bad guys are the good guys. You might look at a minority of people that have been pogromed and holocausted across the globe and go, wait a minute, how did those Jews become successful? Fuck, how did Adam Sandler make all those movies? Jews must be evil. And then you might find yourself at a rally in Dearborn, Michigan, waving a Nazi flag. So I wanna congratulate Jake, and I, and I would encourage Jake to keep pushing, keep trying to show truth on CNN. It ain't going to be easy. Uh, got another headline here. Again, I'm getting some of this on the, on the fly. This is from the Wall Street Journal, and the Wall Street Journal is usually pretty good. Uh, scene of massacre becomes staging ground for Israel's invasion of Gaza, and then they use a quote, I am looking for revenge. Well, so it's the, the onus is on the Israelis. Ah, the Israelis just want revenge. You know, they behead in your wife and, and burn your baby. You, you might want revenge. It's just, it's all so fucking incredible. Um, what, what am I looking at here? Sorry, we're doing a lot of this on the fly right now. Yeah, oh, okay. Uh, here is a, a, t a, a tweet by uh, Sovereign Bra. This is a random uh, account on Twitter. Uh, but this is now what uh, the leader of Hamas is calling for at the moment. Uh, be advised, the leader of Hamas just called Muslims around the world to embrace a day of global jihad this Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, you don't say? That's three days from now. If you live in a major city in America or Europe, I'd recommend avoiding crowded, highly public places on Friday. Please be safe. Uh, one more, this is from Broth uh, Rashid on Twitter. Khalid Mashal, the leader and founding member of Hamas, gave a speech today asking all Muslims around the world to do the following to show anger, especially next Friday, in Muslim countries and also among Muslim diaspora around the world. He called it the Friday of Al-Aqsa flood. He said, this will send a message of rage to Zionists and to America. He asked for financial help from all Muslims around the world to help with their money. He called it financial jihad. He asked for Muslims to give the fighters of Gaza, uh, to give the fighters of Gaza in order to compensate them for the destruction. Uh, three, he asked for political pressure from Muslim leaders and Muslim nations to stop Israel's military invasion of Gaza. Four, the most important thing, he asked all Muslims around the world to carry jihad by their souls, to fight and be martyrs for Al-Aqsa. He wants Muslims to fight against the Jews, starting with Muslims who live in the countries surrounding Israel, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and Egypt, but also other countries, to go to the borders and try to enter, each by his own means. He said this is time for jihad to be applied on the ground rather than just in theory. He asked the Mujahideen to go in long caravans to spell their blood on the land of Palestine. These are his final words. Funds are important, but today we are asking for your blood and souls to be sacrificed for Palestine. Friday the 13th, um, they're telling you. I wanna be very clear about one thing, and I, and I think it's fairly freaking obvious if you have ever followed me. Um, I have no doubt that the average Muslim person and your neighbor and your friend and all of those things are peaceful people and I have Muslim neighbors and friends and all of those things, and I have for my entire life. 
We are fighting a radical, twisted ideology right now, a warped, twisted ideology that is celebrating blood and murder and mayhem and medieval barbarity that the world has not seen literally since the Holocaust. But they were doing this to Jews before the Holocaust, right? They were doing it right before, I'm sorry, they were doing this to Jews before the state of Israel, and now Israel exists, and they're still doing it. We better start waking up to this. Uh, believe me, there was way more we could have done on the show to you today. I really want to link, and I think we'll do some of this tomorrow, I want to link some of this to what's going on at the border right now. And as Ambassador Friedman said, it's like, why wouldn't we think that Iran has pushed people through our border? Like, these things are deeply connected. There was a rally in Dearborn, Michigan, which is Rashida Tlaib's, um, we can't grab that video quickly. We'll, we'll do it tomorrow? Okay, tomorrow. We'll, we'll do it tomorrow. Uh, there was a rally at a, uh, at a theater, thousands of people, uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, which is Rashida Tlaib's district, waving Hamas flags, calling for jihad, like here in America. It's kind of 1938 Nazi stuff. So what are we gonna do? I don't know what we're gonna do. I, I actually don't know what we're gonna do. Um, but you better wake up. You better wake up. Um, all right, I wanna thank Ambassador Friedman again. And uh, again, the, the link to one of, there's many, obviously, many places that you can donate. Uh, the link to the one that I mentioned, which is this Miami organization, that the, the, the funds will go directly to the soldiers. Again, it's called Heart. Uh, I donated this morning. The funds go directly to the soldiers and the families impacted. Uh, that link is down below. We're gonna do a post-game show in just a second at rubinreport.locals.com. And I said to the guys, I was like, how, how are we gonna end with uh, the worldwide jihad on Friday? Like it's Wednesday, you know, like, come on, man. Um, and I have friends coming into town this weekend. You know, it's like the worst time for worldwide jihad. And, <laughs> and Phoenix said, Dave, I got you covered. We got a funny one to let, let everybody out with. So here you go, and we'll see everybody at the post game. Not that they're asking, what's your advice to the next, next Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.